Did I hear somebody say encore? We're doing it again in the last service, so if you want to stick around today, you can check it out again. Now you know why I don't sing in the praise band. Woo, I got to catch my breath. I didn't have time to change my shirt. Is that okay if I just preach in this today? Would that be, be all right, be appropriate? I figured it would be. Hey, take out your Bibles this morning for the first time. We're going to be doing this several weeks to the book of James. Go in your Bibles or your mobile devices to the book of James. You guys excited to start the book of James today here at the church? Yes. Um, this is the way we predominantly study the Bible here at Orchard Church. Uh, we started the church eight years ago. We go to a book of the Bible, and chapter 1, verse 1, we work our way verse by verse all the way through. This is like the 15th, 16th book of the Bible that we've gone through in the last eight years. So we're excited about this book of the Bible. I'm still catching my breath. And uh, we'll be in this for about 15 weeks or so, right up until Christmas Sunday. And I'm super excited about this book. It's one of my favorite ones. You know, whenever you're uh, checking out movies or maybe a new book or something like that, you'll have all these different reviews. People make comments. And I read this one commentator's uh, review, I guess you would say, of the book of James. And I want to read it to you because I think it'll get us kind of excited about what we're going to be studying in the book of James. And we're calling this whole series, How Faith Works. And he said this, I'll put it on the stream for you. He said, there are enough needles in this haystack of James to prick the conscience of every Christian in the world. Here is a book designed to exhort and encourage, to challenge and convict to rebuke and revive and to drive believers toward the goal of a faith that works. James is refreshingly practical. So I think that's a great commentary of this book we're going to be studying the next uh, several months. Now, I know a lot of you guys went on vacation this summer. Uh, we took a little mini vacation uh, right before Caleb went off to college, went to Steamboat Springs for just a couple of days. And I don't know how you guys are when you go on vacation. How many of you guys, by show of hands, when you go on vacation, you want to just get wherever you're going and, then, and you don't plan anything. You just get there and you wake up and you decide that day what you're going to do. It's moment by moment, hour, no plans at all. That's how you like to go on vacation. Raise your hand. Raise your hand high, okay? Quite a few. How many of you guys are more like me? You're a little OCD, and so, you know, I'm going on vacation. I got to know everything to expect where I'm going. I got to Google it, find out what are the top 10 things to do in that vacation spot, because I don't want to miss anything. I don't want to find out later, oh, that was right there, and we didn't get to it. How many of you guys are like that? You're like me. Okay, cool. We could go on vacation together then. Um, that's how we're going to approach the book of James today. We're just going to do an introduction as we go on this journey over the next several months through this book. I want you guys to know what to expect. I want you to know what to look for because I think the more that you know what to expect and understand what to look for, the more we're going to get out of this book. So today I'm just going to give you the overall big picture of the book of James so we can get the most out of this journey uh, that we're going to be going on. Now, it also today, by doing an introduction, is going to put uh, this book of the Bible in context before we just jump into it. Because as I've taught you guys over and over, help me with this church, the three most important rules of Bible study are context, context, context. So today we're going to put this book in its context by answering four questions. And I hope you guys will take some notes this morning on the back of your newsletter. Here's the first of four questions. First of all, who was James? James, we believe, is the writer of this book of the Bible. It was actually a letter that he wrote, but who is he? Um, he gives us his name, the title of the author, right here in the very first word of this book. James chapter 1 verse 1 it says, James, a bondservant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we hear this man's name, James, if you study your Bible, you're going to see several men named James as you read through the New Testament. So we need to identify which James 
is it that wrote this letter? Um, there's a guy named James who's the son of Zebedee, the brother of John. We read about him in Matthew chapter 4. He was a prominent disciple, but we don't believe he's the one that wrote this letter. There's another James, uh, James the son of Alphaeus. You read about him in Matthew chapter 10. He was another disciple. Little is known about him. Some believe he was possibly uh, the brother of Matthew. We also don't believe that's the James that wrote this. Um, how you guys remember uh, one of the disciples named Judas who betrayed Jesus? His father's name, Luke 6 tells us that his father's name was James. We also don't believe that's the writer of this book. But then there's another man in the Bible with the name James, and he is actually the brother of Jesus. We read about him in Matthew 13 and other places. We actually know that he's the half-brother of Jesus. We know Jesus had several brothers. And we believe that's the James, the half-brother of Jesus, that wrote this book of the Bible, that wrote this letter. But it's interesting that James doesn't tell us that when he, when he starts out. You'd think he'd say, hey, I'm James, the brother of Jesus. Yeah, that's a pretty strong title. But instead he just says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what James tells us right here, he's showing spiritual maturity, that his real relationship with Jesus was not physical, it was spiritual, like all of us. But here's what's interesting. We, we believe this is James, um, the, the half-brother of Jesus, but James and his brothers didn't believe Jesus was who he claimed to be. In the Gospels, you read these stories where his brothers thought he was out of his mind. They thought he was crazy. There's this one story where Jesus is teaching and some people are going to try to capture Jesus. And they're like, we got to get him out of here before they kill him because he's out of his mind. They thought he was just nuts. They did not believe Jesus was the son of God, the Messiah. They thought he was just cuckoo. I mean, how many of you guys grew up with a brother? You have a brother, okay? Can you imagine you're growing up as a kid and all of a sudden your brother comes to you and says, hey, by the way, I've been meaning to tell you something. I am God. Yeah, that's what you would do. Yeah, I'm the son of God. I was sit here to be the savior of the world. I am the Messiah, the one that they've been predicting for all these years. I'm him. And his brothers were like, you're crazy. You're nuts. They did not believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be until a very significant event took place that changed all of their lives and all of their minds. And it wasn't the death of Jesus. It wasn't the burial of Jesus, but it was, but it was the resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we sang about it this morning, I'm alive because he lives. The resurrection changed James' life, his brother's life, as it's changed all of our lives, amen? And, and it's so much so that he became a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ and a, and a, a, a preacher of the gospel. He became a, a prominent leader in the church in Jerusalem. And he, he was so strong in his faith that he was willing to die for his belief in Jesus. And in 62 AD, he did die for his faith. He was martyred uh, by the Pharisees, killed him because of his faith and being a follower of Jesus Christ. He was cast down from the temple, he was beaten with clubs, and he was killed. So Jesus changed his life like he's changed many of our lives. It's important that you understand this about James, the writer of this book, that his nationality, he was a Jew. That's important because he's a Jewish man writing to Jewish people, as we'll see in just a minute. And let me tell you a little bit about the personality of James. You can really understand someone's personality by the way they write. Um, how many of you guys like people that are real black and white and like they always tell you where they stand, what they're thinking. They don't beat around the bush. They don't candy coat. You, you, you always know where they stand. How many of y'all like people like that? I like people like that. I tend to be that way. I like people. I'm like, just give it to me straight and I can deal with it. You know, don't speak in code. Don't beat around the bush. Well, if you like people like that, you're going to like James because James' personality, he doesn't make suggestions. He makes, he gives commands. He gives directives. 50 times he just tells us 
us in this book. This is what you should be doing. This is what you shouldn't be doing. And it's so practical. So that helps us answer who was James. James, this half-brother of Jesus. So the second question I want us to answer is who did James write to? Because this was a letter. I know it's a book in our Bible, but it was originally a letter that James wrote to a group of people. He tells us in verse 1 who he wrote to. He says, James, to the 12, what church? Tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. To the 12 tribes. And if you know, if you study your Bible at all, you'll know that the 12 tribes are representative of the nation of what church? Israel. He's, He's writing the 12 tribes scattered abroad, the nation of Israel, but not everybody in Israel. He's specifically writing to Jews that are outside of Israel. They're no longer in the homeland. We'll talk about that in a moment. And he wasn't writing to every Jew. He was writing to Jews that were outside of Israel who were Christians. They were what we would today call Messianic Jews. Like himself, they had actually put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, where most of the Jews had rejected Jesus as the Messiah and had him crucified. There were some who believed in Jesus. And that's the people he's writing to, Jewish believers outside of Israel. We know this because look at verse 2. He says, my what? My brethren. My brethren. He uses this phrase brother 19 times in this book. He's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, Jews that were believers. But he says, he's writing to the 12 tribes which were scattered abroad. They had been scattered. uh, this, This phrase scattered abroad is to scatter like seed. They had been driven out of Palestine, out of their homeland, because of the persecution of the Romans. The Emperor Claudius had persecuted them and driven them throughout uh, the world outside of their homeland of Israel. But God allowed this to happen because he also, through that, spread the gospel to the other regions. We'll get into that a little bit in this book. But you could think about these guys, these, these people, these men and women that were Jewish believers in Jesus Christ... Life was very difficult for them. Life was very challenging for them because the other Jewish people rejected them because they were believers and they thought they were crazy. So they were rejected by their own people and then the Gentiles rejected them because they were Jews and they weren't Gentiles and weren't Romans. So, I mean, these people couldn't seem to get along with anybody. Nobody seemed to like them. They were persecuting them. I mean, they just were like a fish out of water. It'd be kind of like this. It'd be kind of like living in Denver... And being a Raiders fan, you know, it'd be kind of like that, you know, how you'd feel, you know, like everybody's just out to get you all the time. Or being a Seahawks fan, I mean, can you imagine that, Try, trying to be that? I mean, it's, it's difficult. That's, that's what was going on with these people. And, and they're having a hard time living out the Christian life because of all the challenges and trials and tribulations and, and difficulties. Maybe some of you can identify with that. Maybe some of you feel like, man, I'm trying to live out a mature Christian life, but in my neighborhood, in my workplace, in my family, not everybody is patting me on the back and cheering me on. How many of you would agree that sometimes living the Christian life in America today can be a challenge? Say yes. See, we can identify with these people that James is writing to, which is why this is such a practical book. And the key theme throughout these five chapters is this. They claim to be believers in Jesus Christ, but their actions were saying something different. They lacked maturity, and they needed to know how faith works. That's the title of our series, what it looks like, how it works. So that leads us into answering the third question. Why, based on that, did James write to these people? Why did he write this letter? I mean, every New Testament letter has its unique purpose and theme. 
And I apologize now if I refer to Paul as the writer of James because Paul wrote most of the New Testament, so that's what I'm used to. But this was actually James. But Paul had, had a theme and a purpose behind all of his letters. First Corinthians, he wrote it as a letter of rebuke to a church that was way off track. Uh, Paul wrote the letter to Galatians about, against legalism and, and about freedom in, in Christ. And Paul wrote the book of Philippians to bring joy to believers. But James wrote this book with a purpose. He's writing to Jewish Christians who are struggling in their Christian life and encouraging and challenging them to grow up. He's going to tell us throughout this book, it's time for you guys as believers to grow up, to mature in your faith in Christ. Many people have referred to the book of James as the how-to book on Christian living. That's why we've called it How Faith Works. It's going to be so practical to all of us. And in this, James addresses Three things, really, in this book, and it's why he wrote this book. You have them in your notes. First of all, he wrote this book to address the problems that these Jewish believers were facing. Problems like persecution, tests, trials, difficulties. If you feel like you're facing any trials and tests and difficulties, man, this book is for you. Because that's where these people were. Um, He addresses the fact that they were dealing with all these temptations in the world to sin. They were trying to live mature Christian lives, but they were falling into the temptation of sin. Um, They were dealing with catering to the rich and showing favoritism to them, but then the rich were taking advantage of them. Um, They were, he's, James writes to deal with the problem of turmoil in their churches. Uh, they, They had problem with their tongue, with their mouths, with gossip and competition for leadership positions. And they were trying to live these Christ-like lives, but there was worldliness all around them that they were having to face. That sounds a lot like the society we live in today, doesn't it? I mean, this could be written to us today, which is why this is going to be so practical every week for the next 15 weeks. And I thought about it this way. You know, these people became believers in Jesus Christ. They were persecuted and they were driven out of their homeland and trying to live out Christ-like lives, but they were struggling. And I I think a lot of us can identify with that. You know, we come to church on Sunday and we study God's word and God convicts us and he speaks to our heart and our life about something we need to start doing or something we need to stop doing. And we get, we pray and we commit our lives to God and we get excited about that. But then we scatter as a church and we go out these doors into the real world into our workplaces and our neighborhoods and our families. And it's not so easy out there, is it? Is it? (laughs) It's not. You know, we go into our small groups and in the middle of the week and we, we, it helps to bring some accountability and some time to be with other Christians. And we get encouraged and we get convicted and we say, yes, okay, this is going to help me. But then we scatter from the small group and we go back into our real lives and real world. And it's sometimes difficult to live out the mature Christian life. We, we're involved in discipleship with another believer one-on-one. And man, we get so much out of that and it challenges us. And we, we want to grow in our faith. But then we leave and we scatter from that meeting. And then we have to live out the principles of God's word. It's not so easy out there. And that's exactly why James is writing this book. All these problems that were going on. But all these problems were merely symptoms of the real issue, the cause. And James addresses the cause to these problems. And here's the cause. Spiritual immaturity. That was what was causing all these conflicts and problems. It was spiritual immaturity. Simply, they were not growing up in their faith in Christ. They knew Christ, but they weren't mature. You know, there's a difference between growing old and growing up. 
Would you agree? Say yes. You know, we're all, whether we like it or not, we're all growing older. But it doesn't mean we're all growing up. I mean, how many of us know somebody who's 50, 60 years old, but they haven't really grown up and they're still pretty immature? Now, now don't, now, some of y'all are pointing at people right now, okay? <laughs> Just keep that to yourself, okay? Let's be mature. We all know people like that. And, and we all know Christians like that who have been believers for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, but yet they're still spiritually immature in their life. There's a difference between growing old and growing up. And James is going to talk to us about growing up. It's time to grow up and be mature Christians. And the remedy for this spiritual immaturity, the remedy is spiritual what? Maturity. The opposite of being immature is to be mature. And that's the theme of James. Spiritual maturity. Time to grow up. How faith works. And there's a word that's going to keep coming up in your Bibles. And it's the word perfect. Now I'm using the New King James Version. I know some of you use that. So in here some of you use other versions which is fine if you do. Some of your other versions may say mature. But it's used several times. And when you see this word perfect it doesn't mean sinless. We know there was only one person who was perfect, and that's Jesus Christ. So what does this word perfect mean that James keeps using in, in the New King James? It's, it's the word perfect. It's from the Greek word teleos, and it means mature. It means balanced. It means grown up. That's what he's addressing. You know, we had, uh, the ladies had a ladies get-together event last night, and there were over 70 ladies at El Hardin, and the, their theme was being balanced. That's what James is going to help us with. How to be balanced in our Christian life. How to grow up. How to be mature. We get no further than the fourth verse of James chapter 1. And notice what James 1, 4 says. And we'll go look at this in detail next week. But he says, James says, but let patience have its perfect work. It's maturing work. That you may be perfect, mature, and complete, and lacking nothing. That's the theme of this book. If you want to grow up and you want to be more mature in your Christian life, you don't want to just grow old, you want to grow up, this is the book for you. And I think a question we're going to face throughout this book that we need to ask ourselves is how mature are we in our Christian life? How mature are we? I mean, if you were to rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 right now as we start this book about maturity, would you say, okay, I'm a a 3. Well, what's it going to take to get to you to a 5? You know, if you're a five, what's it going to take to get you to a seven? How mature are we in our Christian life? Are we maturing? Are we, I mean, because the goal of the Christian life is that we're growing closer to Christ and his word and maturing every week, every month, every year. We shouldn't be at the same place in our spiritual maturity that we were a year ago, two years ago. Amen? Amen. Spiritual maturity is one of the greatest needs in Christianity today. Just people that will be spiritually mature. You see, that is one of the goals of our disciple-making process here at Orchard Church. If somebody says, what is, what's Orchard about? You know, in like two words, making disciples. Because that's what Jesus told us to do. Go and make disciples. And that's what we're trying to do. That's what we've been trying to do for eight years. That's what we're going to continue to do the next eight years. And however many years the Lord gives us. And we have a process, a three-step process to try to make disciples. And making disciples is helping people grow and mature in their faith. And it's three R's. Help me, church. Reach, relate, Reproduce. Your reach happens on Sunday morning. Um, relate happens in our small groups. Reproduce happens in our one-on-one uh, discipleship ministry. But the goal of all of that process, reach, relate, reproduce, is to help people grow in their faith, not just bring people to Christ. 
I mean, it's so exciting every Sunday morning when people raise their hand to accept Christ. But listen, church, that's not the end goal. That's just the beginning. Because once someone is brought to Christ, the Bible says they're newborn babe in Christ, but now they need the sincere milk of the word so they can grow by it. We want to see people not just come to Christ. We want to see people grow in their faith and be mature Christians. And it's so exciting when we look around and we see this happen in people's lives. And I received an email a couple of months ago that I want to read to you guys. I think it'll be a blessing. Uh, This was from a family who had been attending our church for about four years. They were very involved in every area of our church. Uh, They were in small groups. They were in discipleship. They were serving. I mean, they were doing everything. And before they came to Orchard Church, they were not believers in Jesus Christ. They came to Christ in our church. They were baptized in our church. They were discipled in our church. And circumstances caused them to have to move away back to where their family is in Missouri. And they sent me this email the week before they moved. And I want to read it to you. It says, Pastor Doug, I'm not sure where to begin. I feel like a simple thank you isn't enough to express how Orchard Church changed mine and my family's life. We attended Orchard for almost four years with our two kids. We have both fallen in love with Jesus Christ through your words and everything the Orchard Church has offered. I wish there was a way for me to express how grateful we are that God has shown himself through you at Orchard Church and how much we've learned and grown. There it is, as Christians. We've grown as Christians, we've grown as a couple, we've grown as individuals, and we've grown as a family. We know God's word through your teachings week to week. We have grown to love our almighty father so much, and we know he knows our hearts and knows what our next step is. It is extremely hard for us to move away from the Orchard Church. The last four years has been more than life-changing for us. Because of Orchard Church, we are better Because of Orchard, we have a relationship with God. Because of Orchard, we have faith. Because of Orchard, we will follow God's plan for us. Because of Orchard, we are forever grateful. You and Orchard Church will be missed beyond words, but never, ever forgotten. Can we celebrate that, church? That. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about right there. Reaching people for Jesus and seeing them grow in their faith. Lives being changed, marriages being changed, families being changed. And it can happen to all of you as well. You say, okay, if we're going to study a book about growing up and being mature as Christians, if that's the theme of James, and it is, and we're going to spend the next, you know, 15 weeks doing that, and you're going to be here, what's the benefit of maturity? The benefit is huge. Maturity is huge, and it it affects in a positive way all of our relationships because that's where we have our biggest difficulties, isn't it, in life? It's relationships. And when you're spiritually mature, it helps your marriage. You give me a spiritually mature husband and a spiritually mature wife, and I'll show you a healthy marriage. You give me spiritually mature parents and spiritually mature kids, and I'll show you a healthy family. You show me a spiritually mature Christian, even though they're in a difficult workplace, things can be better. And how they deal with it, and how they handle it, and how they react. You show me a spiritually mature Christian, how they respond to their neighbors and their neighborhood is different. You show me a spiritually mature Christian, and I'll show you how they get along better with family members that are difficult to get along with. How many of us have family members that we need spiritual maturity to deal with them properly? Don't point them out if they're here. And you know what else? 
when we have spiritually mature believers in Jesus Christ that make up Orchard Church, we have a healthy church. Nobody wants to go to a church with a bunch of immature babies running around, puking, crying, and pooping all the time. And we've all been to some of those kind of churches. Spiritual maturity has so many wonderful benefits for all of us. I read one uh, writer, he said this, too many churches are playpens for babies instead of workshops for adults. We want Orchard Church to be a workshop for adults. We help people, we bring people to faith and we help them grow up in faith. We know that James is writing about spiritual maturity because every chapter he addresses characteristics of children trying to get us to grow up. Here's a picture. This is a, a picture of how a lot of kids are. But we know a lot of adults that way too, don't we? And we know a lot of Christians that spiritually act like this. And James addresses this in every chapter. In chapter one, you know, how many of you guys ever struggle with patience? You ever struggle with that? Okay, he's gonna deal with patience. Because children are impatient. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Is it time yet? He's gonna deal with that. In chapter two, he's gonna deal with talking but not living the truth. Kids love to talk a big game, but they don't always produce what they say. In chapter three, he talks about childlike characteristics where no one can control their mouth or their tongue. How many parents, how many times have we said to our kids, watch your mouth? My mom said that to me many times. Doug, watch your mouth. We gotta watch our mouths too as, as Christians. Chapter four, he deals with fighting and coveting. You know, children are all about mine, mine, mine. That's, you know, fighting over stuff. Chapter five, he deals with collecting material toys that don't ever bring fulfillment and true satisfaction. It's all about growing up in our Christ-like walk and our faith. And God is desperately looking for mature Christians to carry out his work. And thankfully, James doesn't just address the problem, but he gives us the solution. And in these five short chapters of James, he gives us five marks of a mature Christian to look for. These these are things like if you're going on that vacation, you're looking for the top five things to do where you're going. These are like the the five marks of maturity for a Christian that we're going to look at. He's going to tell us in chapter one that a mature Christian is patient in times of testing. If you're going through a test right now, a trial right now, a difficulty right now, do not miss next Sunday. Cancel whatever you need to do and be here because that's the first thing James is going to address. How to maturely deal with problems. Next week's message is how to profit through problems. Well, we can all use that, can't we? And a mature Christian knows how to be patient in times of testing. Number two, in chapter two, a uh, mature Christian knows how to practice the truth. He doesn't just know God's word, he practices God's word. Uh, uh, James uh, chapter 3, he's going to talk about how mature Christians have power over the tongue and our mouth and our words that can so get us in trouble. Chapter 4, a mature Christian is a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. And then chapter 5, James is going to tell us that a mature Christian is prayerful in times of trouble. When you go through times of of testing and trials and trouble, do you freak out, do you worry, or do you pray? Do you pray? These are all things we're going to look at that are so practical to help us grow up because it's time to grow up. It's how faith works. So we've answered who was James, who did James write to, why did James write. I want to answer one more question. How can we get the most out of this book? I mean, we're going to spend 15 weeks in this. Let's make sure we get the most out of it. And there are five essentials to getting the most out of James. First of all, it is essential that we've been born again, that we're a believer 
You see, there's no growth until there's first a birth. First we have to be born, then we can grow. And Jesus said it this way in John 3, 5. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water. That's our physical birth. And the spirit. That's our spiritual birth. Humans can reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to what, church? Spiritual life. So don't be surprised, Jesus says, when I say to you, you must be born again. You're, you can be here every Sunday, but if you have not been born again, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior, you're not going to get everything out of this book that God wants because only the Spirit of God can guide you into the truth. Now, I'm, here's the good news. If you've never accepted Christ, you say, well, I've never done that. I've never been born again. In just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to be born again, to accept Jesus Christ so you can get the most out of this book. First of all, are you born again? Another essential, if we're going to get the most out of James, it's essential we recognize our current condition. We got to know where we're starting. If we're talking about spiritual maturity, we have to know, well, where, where is my spiritual maturity at right now? Where am I starting so I know if I'm making progress? How many of you guys watched the show uh, Biggest Loser? You ever seen that show? Well, these people come in and, you know, they weigh like three, 400 pounds. And what do they always do? The very first episode, the first thing they do is they put them on a scale and they give their starting weight. This is where I'm starting because you can't, you, you don't know if you're making progress if you don't know what your current condition is and where you're starting. So as we're talking about spiritual maturity, we have to know where are we starting. You say, well, how am I going to know where I'm starting? You know, I, here's where I think I'm at. We have to let the word of God tell us what our current condition is. James in James 1.22, we'll look at this when we get to it. He says, the word of God is, he pictures it like a mirror, when we look into the word of God and we compare our life, we're looking into a spiritual mirror. And mirrors don't lie, do they? Well, except that one in Snow White, but that's a different story. <laughs> mirrors don't lie, and the word of God doesn't lie. I remember I heard a story about a, a missionary who went to Africa, and he was going to this unreached tribe, and they had had no contact with the outside civilized world. And he goes into this tribe, and he's got his suitcase with him. And there's this, this uh, chief in this tribe, and he's got all the regalia on. His face is painted up, bones sticking through his nose and ears and all this stuff. And the missionary gets into his suitcase, and he gets out a mirror, and he's looking at it. And the, this primitive savage had never seen a mirror. And so he grabbed the mirror from the hand of the missionary, and he looked at himself for the very first time in the mirror. And he took the mirror and he slammed it on the ground and he broke it because he didn't like what he saw. He didn't like it, but it told the truth. Sometimes as Christians, when we read the word of God, we study the word of God, we don't always like what we see, do we, in our life? But we have to honestly come to the word of God and let it dictate and tell us our current condition. Where am I starting? Where am I at? If we want to grow, we must allow the Bible to reveal our current condition and what needs to change. Now, to help you with this, I want to give you guys a list of questions. And these are all questions we're going to deal with throughout the book of James. And it's a great place to start to kind of evaluate what is my current condition based on the book of James. We're going to put these on our Facebook page. They'll be there today. And there's going to be a card. You can actually print it off. Maybe put it in your Bible. Put it on your mirror. But you should ask yourself questions like this. Am I becoming more patient in trials of life? You know, where am I at in that? What's my current condition? Do I play with temptation or do I resist it? Do I find joy in obeying, obeying the Bible or do I merely like to study and learn it? Do I struggle with any prejudices? Am I able to control my tongue? Am I a peacemaker or troublemaker? Uh, do I make plans without uh, consulting God? Do I handle my finances in a God-honoring way? 
Do I naturally depend on prayer when facing troubles? What is my attitude toward Christians who are struggling or straying? These are all questions we're going to deal with as we go through the book of James. It's a good place to start and maybe rate yourself and see where you are in, you know, 15 weeks as far as maturity. We have to know what our current condition is based upon the word of God. Here's another essential. If we're going to get the most out of this book, it's essential we obey what God shows us. When we see our current condition and there's something not in line with God's word, it's essential that we obey what God shows us. The famous verse that comes out of James, James 1:22, I quote it all the time. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. You see, it's easy just to study the Bible or attend church and hear a message. But God wants us to put into practice and obey what God shows us. The question is not, did we study it? Did we learn it? Did we memorize it? The question is, will we live it out? See, that was the problem with the Jewish believers that James was writing to. They knew God's word, but they weren't living God's word. They they weren't living up to what they were claiming about being believers. Will you live out in the real world God's word with your family, in your workplace, with your neighbors, with your finances. You know, this is one of the things that we try to stress in our discipleship ministry here at Orchard Church when we pair people up for discipleship. So many times people come to discipleship because they just want to learn more about the Bible. And that's okay. We should want to learn more about the Bible. That's not a bad thing unless it stops there. God doesn't want us just to learn more about the Bible just so we can know more about the Bible and impress our friends with our Bible knowledge and theology. And when we play Bible trivia, we get all the answers right. Paul said, knowledge alone, if you don't put it into practice and do something with it, it produces pride. And we got plenty of those kind of Christians, don't we? It's not about what we hear and what we know. It's about what we do with it. Do we obey? If we're going to get the most out of this book, we have to put it into practice. We say this all the time when it comes to discipleship. It's not about information. It's about transformation. We want to see people's lives transformed and marriages and families transformed. And you know how we know the real test of discipleship if someone has gotten it and if it's transformed their life and it's not just been about just learning more about the Bible but doing nothing with it? It's when they go on to disciple someone else. That's spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is not how much you know. Spiritual maturity is when you take what you know and you help somebody else grow. It's disciples making disciples. It's reproducing reproducers. That's the real test of spiritual maturity. So many times Christians think, well, the more Bible I know, the more mature I am. Not necessarily. And mature Christians live the word. That's how faith works. We're doers, not just hearers. And then here's another one. If we're going to get the most out of this book. Now, you're not going to like this one. I'm going to warn you now. You're not, you're not going to like this one. It is essential we are prepared for extra trials. Woohoo! Yeah! I might go through some extra trials in the book of James. We're going to see that next week. He's going to talk about trials. Because here's the deal. We've all seen this. If you're just kind of floating aimlessly through the Christian life, and you're not really in God's word, and you're not really applying God's word, and you're not trying to grow, and you're not trying to mature, Satan will leave you alone. He didn't need to worry about you. Because you're either moving forward in your Christian life, or you're moving backwards. But as soon as you start moving forward, as soon as you start reading God's word, studying God's word, memorizing God's word, and applying God's word, and putting it into practice in real life, that gets Satan's attention. And that's when he likes to mess with us the most. If you've experienced that, say yes. 
But God uses those same trials. Satan uses them to knock us off course. God uses those same trials to grow our faith, to strengthen us. That's what we're going to see next week. My title of my message next week is How to Profit from Problems. How to profit from problems. How God uses those. If you need patience, be ready for a trial. Well, you have to exercise patience. I like the way one writer said it. He said, the real examination of Bible study is in the school of life, not in the classroom. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to grow. It's hard to go through trials. It's difficult for all of us. Nobody gets real excited about trials. Physical maturity and growth and spiritual maturity and growth is difficult. There's a reason why we call it growing pains. Growing pains. And spiritual growth and maturity is difficult and it can be painful. But the end result is wonderful. You see, Christian growth is something that we've got to work at. There's going to be some trials. There's going to be some pain. We've we got to work at it. We've got to work out our faith, as the scriptures say. You know, um, when I turned 40, which was a few years ago, um, I realized if I didn't start working out physically, bad things were going to start happening. Clothes weren't going to fit the same. I wasn't feeling as good. And, you know, when Gary came here, we, we made a pact to start working out. So, like, last two years, we've been working out together almost every morning. And uh, sometimes we go to the gym. Sometimes we play tennis. We do different things. And we try to work out. And it's the whole no pain, no what? No gain. Now, I'll tell you guys, I don't every morning hear my alarm go off and go, woohoo, I get to go work out today. I don't get excited about that. I, I, there's mornings I want to just turn that alarm off, but I know Gary's going to be waiting for me. Or he's going to be picking me up, and, he, and there's that accountability. I don't like going and having to work out, but I'll tell you what I do like. I like the results. I like the results, and I've, I never am sorry I worked out afterward. I like the results. I like how I feel. I like what I see in the mirror a little better. My wife likes it. She can't keep her hands off of me these days. <laughs> I might be stretching that a little bit. But the same is true in our Christian life. We don't like the pain. We don't like the trouble. We don't like the work. But boy, the results are great. You feel better as a Christian. You honor God more. He blesses you more. It's just things seem to work out better. So to get the most out of this book, it's essential. We're born again. That we examine our current condition by the word of God. That we obey God's word. That we prepare for extra trials. And then finally, it's essential that we measure our growth by the word of God. If you want to know, okay, am I progress, progressing or not? Measure your growth by the word of God. Here's what most Christians do. We measure our spiritual growth based on each other. We compare ourselves among ourselves to feel better about ourselves. Because we can always find somebody we're a little bit better than, or we think. I'm serving more than them. I attend church more than them. I give more than them. But listen, we are not the measuring stick each other. This is, Amen. This book is. And last time I checked in here and compared it to my life, I got a long way to go. We all have a long way to go. We need to let the word of God be our measuring stick. Listen, not everyone who grows old grows up. There's a difference between age and maturity, physically and spiritually. And James throughout this book is going to tell us it's time to grow up. Because mature Christians are happy Christians and useful Christians which is what we all want. So let's grow up together through the book of James. Are you guys excited? It's going to be a good book. It's going to be a great book. All right, let's pray.
Would you bow your heads with me with heads bowed for just a moment? If you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's where it begins. You've got to be born again. And I want to give you an opportunity right now to do that in the quietness of your seat. You can just open up your heart and your life to Jesus and say, Jesus, come into my life. I'll, I want to lead you in a prayer of faith that you can pray and invite Jesus into your life. You're tired of doing life on your own and trying to, to do your marriage and your family and finances and everything on your own. You say, you know, I'm ready to have Jesus guide and direct my life. Why don't you open up your heart by faith today to him? And I want to lead you in a prayer. It's not a magic prayer or magic words, but if you put faith behind it, Jesus will come into your life today. You can be born again, and then you can begin to grow and mature in your faith. So if that's you today, would you pray this prayer with me from your heart to God's and mean it? Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for me to forgive my sins. Jesus, forgive my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Help me to grow in my relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me, for loving and forgiving me. Thank you. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around for just a moment. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you just prayed that prayer of faith for the very first time and you meant it, would you just slip up your hand? Because I want to pray for you. Would you just, just by raising your hand, thank you. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. Thank you, a young person. Yes, thank you. Anyone else? Just slip it up and put it down. Yes, I prayed that prayer of faith. I want to be born again. I want to know Jesus. I want him in my life. Anyone else? Let me pray for you. Thank you, Father, for those who put their faith and trust in you today. Thank you that we are seeing spiritual birth take place before our very eyes. Help us as a church family to welcome them as brothers and sisters into the family of God. Help us to surround them with love and mercy and grace and care. Help us to help them grow, as we're talking about in James, in their walk with you. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, I know we have a lot of believers here today. You know Jesus. You've been born again. How many of you Christians would be honest enough to say, I know that I could be more spiritually mature. I know that I could grow. Would you pray for me, Pastor Doug? I really want to take these next 15 weeks seriously through the book of James, and I want to grow up. I don't want to just grow old. I want to grow up in my faith, and I want God to to challenge me, and I want to put this into practice in my life. Would you slip up your hand all across this auditorium? Let me pray for you. Thank you. God bless you guys. Hands are everywhere. Mine's up with you. Father, I pray that you'd help us all to grow up in our faith. Will we be doers of your word, not just hearers only, in the next 15 weeks as we go into this awesome book, the book of James, and that our lives will bring honor and glory to your name. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we celebrate decisions for Christ today? Amen. If you... Um, if you made a decision to accept Christ today, please let us know about that on your connection card. You can drop it in the offering bucket and receive our gifts in just a moment. We'll be receiving our, our gifts. If you're a first-time guest, thanks for being with us here at Orchard Church today. We're not always this crazy, just most of the time. And uh, we're glad you're here. Hope you filled out your connection card. You can drop that offering plate uh, bucket there as we receive our gifts. Uh, as we're doing that, right now we're going to check out what else is going on around here at Orchard Church. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here today.